0: This is who we're looking at as possible speakers of the House to replace Kevin McCarthy in next week's elections. There are going to be elections next week to pick a new speaker. Hopefully, we're looking at, who is it, Steve Scalise? He is the majority leader right now. He's from Louisiana. Jim Jordan from Ohio. Who else do we have? Okay, we're not going to do this. Here we go. Steve Scalise, Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma. He is a conservative and he is not too keen on funding Ukraine. A possible speaker, believe it or not, would be convicted rapist. Donald Trump, although he says he's not interested. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Troy Nels are going to nominate him for speaker. And Andy Harris, a Republican from Maryland, and that is who we're looking at. I'll have more on this momentarily. New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez and his wife go on trial in May, May 6th, I believe. They've been indicted on charges of accepting bribes from the Egyptian government, as well as three New Jersey businessmen. New reports out this morning. That back in 2018, the senator's wife, Nadine, struck and killed a pedestrian while she was speeding through the streets of Bogota, New Jersey. And it's pronounced Bogota, not Bogota. That I know. I'm from New Jersey. New video released shows the senator's wife sitting in her car for seven minutes doing absolutely nothing while the pedestrian she hit bled to death. On video, you can see the police eventually arrive on the scene and fail to administer a drug or alcohol test. They call her a friend of ours and immediately determine she was not at fault. The pedestrian she killed ended up damaging her Mercedes. And according to these new indictments, two of the co-defendants in the trial, while Hanna and Jose Uribe, bought the senator's wife a brand-new $60,000 Mercedes-Benz convertible in exchange for Senator Menendez's help in making a criminal prosecution disappear. That trial begins in May. President Biden on Wednesday announced that he will issue an executive order making $9 billion of student loans disappear, Three months ago, the Supreme Court ruled that Biden's previous executive order, which forgave hundreds of millions of dollars in student loans, was unconstitutional because it would make people happy. During a White House announcement on Wednesday, President Biden outlined a series of administrative maneuvers he's implemented in the past two years that help millions of Americans pay off their loans and or lower what they owe, A lot of this has been done under the radar, but President Biden has succeeded. He's been trying his best to forgive as much as he can when it comes to student loans. With migrants coming over the border and then being shipped by Texas Governor Greg Abbott to sanctuary cities in places like New York and California, President Biden responded to what is becoming more of a political problem than an actual problem. He issued an executive order on Wednesday, waiving 26 federal laws that will now make it easier to construct a worthless wall that will not keep migrants out of Southern Texas. This is just a waste of money and a waste of energy. This fails to address the systemic problems causing migrants to flee their Central American countries. And it caters to the myth that these migrants are a problem as opposed to a gift that keeps our economy as well as our social safety net solvent. They should be welcomed into this country, not kept out. This is the mop up for October 5th, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Please like this video so that I remain in your feed. And if you can, subscribe to this channel. Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise, he's second in command or he was second in command under former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Steve Scalise and Ohio Congressman, as well as chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, both announced on Wednesday that they are running for Speaker of the House. If you remember, Kevin McCarthy was voted out and said, I'm done. I am done. The election is scheduled for next week after the House takes seven days off following a contentious vote Tuesday night, making Kevin McCarthy the first speaker in American history to get voted out of office. Before forcing the vote on the speaker, Florida Congressman Matt Gates said his first choice to replace McCarthy would be Steve Scalise, second in command. Before becoming McCarthy's number two in the House leadership, Scalise served for eight years as the Republican whip and then When McCarthy rose to become Speaker, Scalise was bumped up to majority leader. Jim Jordan, one of the founding members of the Freedom Caucus, has never held any leadership positions in the Republican Caucus, but he's a contentious, argumentative scrapper, a former wrestling coach who likes to mix it up with Democrats, and behind the scenes has been leading the charge on the Biden impeachment by by chairing the House Judiciary Committee. Of the two, Scalise is the least camera craven. And when it comes to collecting votes for Speaker, I think that might suit him fine. I suspect Scalise has a distinct advantage over Jim Jordan because Scalise hasn't ruffled as many feathers with the Democrats the way Jordan has. And I have to believe that Jim Jordan has secretly pissed off members of the Republican Caucus for too much showboating and alpha-dogging. Uh, Scalise also survived a 2017 mass shooting. He is going through chemotherapy for blood cancer and is a more sympathetic figure, someone Republicans in the House genuinely love and root for, whereas Jim Jordan is someone they have to put up with. I find both men detestable, but if I had to pick one to become speaker, I would hope It would be Jim Jordan, because I loathe him even more than I loathe Steve Scalise. Becoming Speaker of the House with a Republican majority is a kamikaze mission. And in Washington, people rise to their highest level of corruption. In other words, Hunter Biden and Donald Trump wouldn't be in the legal quicksand they find themselves in had it not been for their proximity to the Oval Office. And the same applies to Jim Jordan. There is a wrestling scandal that is quietly brewing back in Ohio. Jordan was a wrestling coach at Ohio State University and reportedly looked the other way as the team physician, Dr. Strauss, molested hundreds, hundreds of young men who were on Jim Jordan's wrestling team. This story is winding its way through the courts. And the rap against Jim Jordan is that he was told by his wrestlers that Dr. Strauss was molesting them. And Jordan would say, well, that's Strauss, that's Strauss. There are allegations of witness tampering and much the same way Trump was good, was good. He used to be good. He no longer is. Trump was good at making his scandals disappear. There is an intimidation machine back in Ohio tamping down the complaints against Congressman Jim Jordan because this is local. Supposedly, George Clooney is making some kind of movie about the Jim Jordan wrestling scandal, but it seems to be stagnating. I can assure you, however, that if Jim Jordan, God willing, becomes speaker, he will be under the national microscope. He's made a lot of enemies who would love to bring him down. Republican speakers, they're, they end up being like one of Elizabeth Taylor's husbands. They all think this time it'll be different. I can tame this beast, but they can't. McCarthy was scorched, Paul Ryan, John Boehner, and best of all, and keep Jim Jordan in mind on this, the longest serving Republican speaker of the House was Dennis Hastert. He became speaker after Newt Gingrich crashed and burned. And Dennis Hastert lasted as speaker throughout the early 2000s, because just like Jim Jordan, Dennis Hastert was a wrestling coach. He knew how to get down on his knees and grapple with a bill. He found the, the wriggle room to get a renegade Republican to vote for what he wanted. His experience as a wrestling coach taught him how to twist arms, make his opponents squirm by tussling and brawling. Like Jim Jordan, Dennis Hastert was a scrapper, a fighter. And just like wrestling coach Jim Jordan, wrestling coach Dennis Hastert had a problem with young men stepping forward and claiming abuse. In 2015, the longest Republican speaker of the House, Dennis Hastert pleaded guilty and went to prison for sexually abusing teenage wrestlers at Yorkville High School in Yorkville, Illinois where he was wrestling coach from 1965 to 1981. Somehow, Dennis Hastert was able to pay his accusers millions and millions of dollars in hush money on a congressman's salary. How do you do that? But eventually, it all caught up with him. At Speaker Hastert's sentencing, Federal District Court Judge Thomas M. Durkin called him to his face, a serial child molester. And Dennis Hastert said, yeah, I am. He did. He said, yes, I am. And off Dennis Hastert went to prison. He's out now. So, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping Jim Jordan, another wrestling coach, becomes the next Republican speaker, because like I said, I loathe him more than I do Steve Scalise And there are some accusations that Jim Jordan looked the other way while the young men he was coaching were being attacked by Dr. Strauss, the team physician. So there's a lot of criticism of the Republican controlled House for taking seven days off after Tuesday's disarray. The House right now doesn't have a speaker and it hasn't passed a budget. And the continuing resolution passed on Saturday only gives both houses of Congress until November 17th until we face another government shutdown. There is no speaker right now. North Carolina Congressman Patrick McHenry is speaker pro tem. He's an interim speaker, and he's really only allowed to do one thing, and that is get a new speaker. He's supposed to run elections for new speakers. He, for a new speaker, he was handpicked by Kevin McCarthy as his successor for two reasons. McHenry was loyal to McCarthy, but mostly because he's ineffectual. He wears a bow tie because he's weak and indecisive. Anybody who wears a bow tie is weak and indecisive. McCarthy, when he put McHenry on his short list to replace him, wanted someone only as a placeholder so that after McCarthy lost the vote on vacating the chair... He could run again for Speaker without the guy who temporarily replaced him suddenly thinking he could do McCarthy's job. McCarthy didn't want someone to fill in for him and then, de- then decide, wait a second, I'm, I should run. But McCarthy, back in January, when he secretly picked McHenry, had no idea that after losing the vote to vacate the chair, he would also lose the appetite to deal with his fractious ravenous Republican caucus. So McCarthy is just done. We think. You never know. We have a week to find out. You'll notice that McHenry has expressed no interest to run as an actual speaker. He is right now a caretaker who is not authorized to do anything. He can't push through the eight remaining budget appropriations bills or figure out the supplemental funding for Ukraine, What we have right now is another political crisis created by the Republicans. Now, this is important. Eight members of Congress brought the entire legislative branch to a halt. All it took was eight, the hateful eight, eight lunatics who want to cut government spending by 30%. The hateful eight, as I call them, who want to cut funding for Ukraine eight lunatics who are so convinced they're on a righteous mission, they're willing to grind government to a halt. They actually think they have God on their side, or at least some of them do. Where are the hateful eight in the Democratic Party? Where are the eight lunatics in my party who are willing to throw themselves on the gears of the congressional machinery and demand Student loan forgiveness, Medicare for all, universal daycare, free college tuition at public universities, public banking, passage of the PRO Act. I know I'm leaving something out, but, you know, our founding fathers left us with a government that doesn't belong to the people. It only belongs to the people who want it more than the rest. You have to want it more than anybody else does. The reason, for example, there's a social safety net in Europe, if you look at what's going on in Europe, they have a parliamentary system where governments are constantly on the verge of collapsing and coalitions have to be forged and small minority parties are able to make demands or the government collapses. And I think sometimes that's a good thing. Now, Government funding doesn't collapse. The, the 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 people who work for the government still get their paychecks in Europe, but the government collapses, and they have to call new elections. So if we had a parliamentary system, the Freedom Caucus would be a party. They would not be Republicans. And in order for someone to emerge as speaker or in a parliamentary system, a prime minister, they would have to forge coalitions with separate parties and then govern accordingly, keep them happy. So it would be nice if we're not going to become a parliamentary system. This Constitution is immutable. But we can have something resembling a parliamentary system if we had a caucus on the left inside the Democratic Party that was as strong and forceful as the Freedom Caucus, a caucus in the Democratic Party. And it only takes eight votes right now. All it takes is eight votes. A a leftist caucus that is willing to act like a separate political party, same way the Freedom Caucus does. And threaten to shut down the legislative branch if they don't get what they want. Now, I don't support government shutdowns because that's cruel and it affects the two to three million people who work for the government as well as the hundreds of millions of Americans who rely on our government. What I do support is a three-party, a four-party, a six-party system where governments within the House of Representatives and the Senate occasionally collapse. And it's not really a national crisis. It's a political crisis. People still get paid. The government still functions. We just don't have a speaker or a Senate majority leader. We don't have committee chairmen quite yet until we form a, a, a leadership in the House and the Senate. Like I said, this stuff happens all the time in Europe because they have a parliamentary system. So we're not going to change the Constitution. But we do need to figure out a way to get something that resembles a parliamentary system by putting an end to the duopoly of just Democrats and Republicans. I have no idea how to do that. And I'm a guilty party because I never vote for third party presidential candidates. I do locally And that's how it should start. That's how we can get rid of the duopoly by running third and fourth party candidates and voting for them. It's a little tough to do that when you're trying to get a president elected. So our Constitution allows for this. It 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 allows for a quasi-parliamentary system, quasi. I mean, the speaker isn't the prime minister, but the speaker could become, because Congress controls the purse, I'm going to get to this in a second, because this is, the Republicans have inadvertently taught the left a, a monumental civics lesson. And we, we, we have a lot that we can steal from this kind of behavior. The speaker of the house isn't the prime minister, but uh, pretty powerful and can kind of make a president irrelevant. When Newt Gingrich in 94 got elected speaker, Bill Clinton said, I still believe the president (coughs) is relevant. Newt Gingrich came to power in 94 as the Republican speaker, and he was in charge. Uh, uh, Bill Clinton marched to his orders and cut spending and, you know, did welfare reform in anticipation of Newt Gingrich. He did welfare reform. So we have a problem in Washington, D.C. right now. Uh, Again, I don't support government shutdowns, but there is a problem with Washington, D.C. running way too smoothly. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but things run too smoothly in the Democratic Party. It's a top-down management approach where it's the art of the possible as opposed to what do people need. You know, I watched Matt Gates holding up Congress, standing his ground on the floor in the service of the wealthy, and he was righteously accusing McCarthy of not cutting Medicaid or food stamps deep enough. Well, nobody in the Democratic Party seems to do the exact same thing for a cause that's actually righteous. If we learn anything about our system this week, it's that it's a lot easier than we imagined to get what you want. If you want it badly enough, you just have to want it and believe you're on the side of righteousness. Look what eight renegade Republicans accomplished. They toppled a speaker. Now, conservatively speaking, 100,000 Americans die each year because we don't have Medicare for all. We have so many underinsured Americans. We have people who have Obamacare, but they can't afford to use it. Imagine we had eight Democrats who were willing to do what Matt Gates did. Now, I know there are millions of reasons not to do what Matt Gates did as a Democrat. I know if I went and spoke to Pramila Jayapal or, you know, Ro Khanna or uh, Adam Schiff or Katie Porter, they would all tell me, yeah, yeah, it's a good idea in theory, but here are the reasons it's really, it's it's not a good idea to do it. Uh, and, you know, I remember when Pelosi took back the speakership and people were demanding to force the vote on Medicare for all. And the wrong people, in my estimation, were screaming for her to force the vote. Cooler heads prevailed. I remember that. And I'm guilty because I didn't trust the people who were saying force the vote on Medicare for all. Uh, I kind of kept my mouth shut and didn't bitch and moan about the squad. I made the mistake. to believe this is not what adults do. And I just didn't trust the people who were screaming, force the vote. The wrong people were pushing for it. So at the height of the COVID epidemic, when, by the way, in a republic, you have to trust your leaders. You have to trust people to govern for you. And you have to find out where people you trust stand on issues. It's it's, just, it's not good enough to believe we should force the vote on Medicare and force everybody, Democrat and Republican, to go on record uh, as to where they stand on Medicare for all. You have to look at who's leading the push to force the vote. And if you don't trust those people, it's hard to support an idea if the wrong people are pushing for it. That's what happens in a republic. You rely on leaders. And the wrong people, in my estimation, were demanding that the squad force the vote. It was a lost opportunity. The right people should have been demanding that they force the vote. People we trust, right? Like Bernie, people we really trust should have been demanding that the House of Representatives force the vote, but they weren't. And so at the height of the COVID epidemic, when America saw that for-profit health care was killing us, I mean, it was undeniable. It still is undeniable. Uh, there was an opportunity to force Nancy Pelosi to vote on Medicare for all and get Congress to go on record. But cooler heads prevailed. They said if you force the vote, it'll be defeated. And then you'll have to wait another 20 years to introduce Medicare for all. I think... With the right people leading the push for Medicare for all, look how many times the Republicans voted on getting rid of Obamacare, like 100 times, but they kept forcing the vote on getting rid of Obamacare. Why can't we get the Democrats to relentlessly introduce Medicare for all? Where are those Democrats we were told now is not the time you're being impulsive. Well, it's never the right time to do the righteous thing. That's what they told Dr. King. It's what they told President Johnson when he passed the Civil Rights Act of 64 and 65, when he passed Medicare and Medicaid. It's too soon. It's too soon. You're being rash, impetuous. Slow it down. I can assure you, however, that if there were eight legitimate Democrats, people we trust, with a ringleader as impassioned as Matt Gates fighting for Medicare for all, willing to topple the speaker to grind Congress to a halt the same way Matt Gates has done, a lot of us would go, "Hmm, maybe he's right or she's right. you know uh they're they're not being adult, they're kind of childlike, but I think they're right, you know." The rap against the Republicans right now is they can't govern. And that may be true, but for a party that can't govern, they sure know how to get exactly what they want. Look at how right now, and we should be learning from them, look how they're defunding the war in Ukraine. Now, I'm not going to do a value judgment on them because their motives are not pro-peace. They're pro-Putin. But look at what they're able to do when it comes to defunding a war. Look at what they're showing us. It's a civics lesson in how much power Congress has, how much power either the Senate or the House of Representatives has. One one House, either the House of Representatives or the Senate, can stop everything like a war. You're saying it right now. This is a good lesson to keep in mind next time we're stuck in a quagmire overseas and the peaceniks go, yeah, the war is wrong, but what can we do? What can we do? Well, you do what the Republicans are doing right now. Nancy Pelosi, by the way, was Speaker back when George W. Bush was fighting his illegal war in Iraq. In Iraq. And to Nancy Pelosi's credit, She voted against the war authorization for the war in Iraq. A lot of people didn't. She was wise. She was against the war in Iraq. Then she became speaker, kind of running against the war in Iraq. 2006, she became speaker. The war was still going. And at that time, she ran the House of Representatives, and she could have defunded the war that she was against, and brought the troops home. So look at what is happening right now with the Republicans, how fearless they are. They want to defund America's involvement in Ukraine. It's a lot easier because we don't have troops on the ground, but I'll get to that in a section second. But remember this moment right now. Next time we end up in a quagmire overseas fighting another senseless war. Study this moment. Study the Republicans. Never forget that the House of Representatives has the power of the purse. The president with the War Powers Act can start a war anywhere he wants, but it is Congress that funds it. If either the Senate or the House of Representatives refuses to pass a funding resolution for the war, war is over. Let me repeat this because we forget this. Elizabeth Holtzman remembered this when she introduced uh, legislation to defund the Vietnam War. It was by, by then, the war was basically over. But there's a lot of power in Congress that they don't want us to know about. But Matt Gates sure showed us we don't have a Congress. We don't have a budget because eight 8 members of Congress stopped stopped it. If the Senate or the House of Representatives refuses to pass a funding resolution for a war, the war is over. Look how easy it is to stop a war. You just need depending on the majority, the split in the House or the Senate, you just need you just need 8 people. 10. Sometimes it's an even tighter majority. There's a lot of power that one member of Congress has, one little caucus. So there's a myth about stopping wars. There's a myth about getting Medicare for all. You don't need all three branches of government to stop a war, okay? You just need either the Senate or the House of Representatives to refuse to approve a funding bill. And there's nothing for the president to sign. The war is over. Remember this moment. Now, I've been over this. I talked about this a month ago. And Nancy Pelosi, this is the rhetorical maneuver cowards deploy, cowards like Nancy Pelosi. So she was speaker. She could have defunded the war. She said she was against the war in Iraq. She was speaker. She criticized how the war was being administered. But she deployed this rhetorical maneuver. She said, as long as our troops are in harm's way, I cannot in good conscience stop funding the war because they make the war synonymous with the troops. Right. Our troops are in harm's way, so we have to keep funding the war and keep them in harm's way because as long as our troops are in harm's way, I will not allow them to stop being in harm's way. That's basically what they're saying. But it sounds good, and people nod their head and go, Yes, they need money. If we're going to have them in harm's way, we have to fund the war. It's a lie. It's cowardice. It, it preys on faux patriotism and a lack of understanding of how our government works. The war is wrong. All wars are wrong. And our troops, yes, are in harm's way. But if you stop funding the war, they are no longer in harm's way, as they say, period, period. Full stop. The war is over. No money, no war. Period. That's how you end a war. Now, the war is wrong because all wars are wrong. If there is no money for the commander in chief to keep his illegal war going, what happens? The troops just sit there and get massacred? No. We put them on planes And they come home. That's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. You cut the funding for a war, the generals say, okay, everybody, get on this cargo plane, you're heading home. You're no longer in harm's way. Now, there are thousands upon thousands of government officials. Thousands upon thousands of academics, millions upon millions of so-called peaceniks who will insist, you know, it's it's not. I like the way you think, but you're a child. It's just not that simple to end a war. It's just not that simple. It's easier uh, just to keep the war going. That's the right thing to do. You just can't unplug a war. That's not how it's done. Uh, Yeah, I noticed that's just not how it's done. It should be. I mean, Biden unplugged the war in Afghanistan. When you unplug a war, it's messy. When we unplugged Vietnam, it was a disaster. When we unplugged Iraq, when we unplugged Afghanistan, it was a disaster. And a lot of people died, but not as many people died as they would have if we didn't unplug the war. When you unplug a war, it's going to be messy, but not as messy as keeping that war going. Remember that. Remember that. You can stop a war. All you need is a handful of Congress members who are willing to block passage of the funding for it. I swear to you, it's that simple. It's that simple. Pay attention to the Republicans and Ukraine, okay? Uh, All it takes is a few outspoken Democrats, and they can stop it. They can stop it. Or look at the way they're going to get the border funding. Look at the way the Republican. We don't need more funding for the border. We need to get rid of ICE, and we need to change our immigration policy. But the racist element within the Republican Party is so hateful and wants this border money so badly. The Democrats go, all right. You know what? We'll compromise. If you're, we'll we'll waste money on a border. Patrol if you let us waste money on Ukraine. Imagine if you had eight, ten members of the Democratic caucus who said, nothing's going to happen unless you give us Medicare for all. We are going to shut Congress down. What do you think would happen? I think it would be a lot harder than it would be uh, f- to pull the... the, the the crap that the Republicans are pulling because the ruling class is on the side of the Republicans. So the ruling class has the Republicans back. They wouldn't have the back of any Democrats who insisted on Medicare for all. But uh, that's why you need to elect members of Congress who have nothing to lose when you have nothing to lose You tell the truth. We have too many Democrats who went to Harvard, have their Ivy League educations and their nest egg, and they have too much to lose. I don't want to vote for somebody who has too much to lose. Meanwhile, President Biden wants Congress to pass their 2024 budget as soon as possible and then get a $24 billion supplemental for Ukraine, which is now entering its 19th month fighting its Russian invaders. This $24 billion supplemental seems to be the deal. He struck with Kevin McCarthy, but now that's been blown up by Matt Gates. That's one of the reasons Kevin McCarthy is no longer Speaker, because he made a deal on Ukraine. And uh, the Republicans right now who are running for Speaker don't seem too keen on passing a bill to fund Ukraine. They're certainly not going to get elected speaker running on funding Ukraine. In the Senate, it seems to be funding for Ukraine seems to be what the majority leader, uh, Democrat Chuck Schumer, and the Republican minority leader Mitch McConnell want. Uh, McCarthy also signaled he wanted the Ukraine supplemental. And... uh, there is will, political will in the Senate on both sides of the aisle for a Ukraine supplemental. But there doesn't seem to be the political will for that in the House, at least with Republicans. So from what I understood, Schumer, Biden, McConnell and McCarthy were planning on getting the 2024 budget passed as soon as possible. And then surprising the anti-Ukraine Republican caucus uh surprising them on getting new spending approved uh, for Ukraine. That would probably be tied, bundled in with more funding for the border. I think leadership in both houses and both parties thought they could get money to Ukraine if an equal amount of money was spent on border security. But now there's nobody in the House to negotiate with. Matt Gates. Is against funding ukraine look what he did look what he got for himself right during a brief press conference on wednesday president biden said this about getting money to ukraine there is another means by which we may be able to uh, find funding for that but i'm not going to get into that now he's not going to get into that right now there is reportedly 4.5 billion dollars worth of weapons biden is still authorized to send to ukraine but anything past The 4.5 billion is subject to congressional approval. The Associated Press reports that the United States is handing over to Ukraine 1.1 million rounds of ammunition it seized from an Iranian boat that was funneling arms to Houthi rebels in Yemen who are fighting Saudi Arabia. Uh, The American Navy stopped the boat, took the ammunition, and now they're shipping it to Ukraine. You are now looking at Dmitry Shotsu, who is head of the Red Cross in Belarus. Belarus, if you remember, borders Ukraine and has served as a major Russian ally as well as puppet. It allows Putin to launch attacks into Ukraine from within Belarus. Belarus also helped negotiate an end to the Wagner Group's failed coup against Putin back in June. On Wednesday, the Governing Board of the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies ordered the Red Cross in Belarus to fire its leader, Dmitry Shatsu, for reportedly boasting that the Belarus Red Cross is assisting Russia in separating Ukrainian children from their parents and then transferring them out of the country. The Associated Press reports that the International Criminal Court, which we're not a member of, the International Criminal Court is looking into reports that at least 2,100 Ukrainian children from Russian-occupied cities in eastern Ukraine have been transferred without their parents into Belarus. Dmitry Shotsu has also reportedly been spotted wearing Russian military fatigues in direct violation of the Red Cross's official mandate to remain neutral in war zones. Late Wednesday, 11 anti-war protesters from Code Pink occupied the Washington, D.C. offices of Senator Bernie Sanders, insisting that he oppose funding more weapons for Ukraine, and they demanded that he call for diplomacy. Earlier in the week, Senator Bernie Sanders clarified his position on Ukraine in a letter to his constituents telling them, quote, the U.S. should support a just peace in Ukraine based on the principles of territorial integrity, sovereignty and international law. Like I said earlier, we live in a republic. We have to rely on people we trust. Right. I trust Bernie. I trust Bernie Sanders with my life. I think he's a miracle of democracy. There are a couple of people who I trust. Cori Bush, Katie Port. Well, you know, there are a couple of politicians I trust. and I look to them for guidance. Bernie Sanders says the U.S. should support a just peace in Ukraine based on the principles of territorial integrity, sovereignty and international law. I have... Some mixed feelings about Ukraine that I've expressed. I don't know completely what the truth is. I believe in diplomacy. I don't think war works, but I trust Bernie Sanders. I think Bernie Sanders knows a lot more than I do. And his position is the U.S. should support a just peace in Ukraine Based on the principles of territorial integrity, sovereignty, and international law. I know that Vivek Ramaswamy, who's a fraud, says the way to get peace in Ukraine is by giving the occupied territories to Russia. So if that's what Vivek Ramaswamy wants to do, uh, it makes me suspicious. That's how a republic works. You have to find leaders you trust. You can question them, but you rely on them for guidance when it comes to making value judgments. In the next week, as Republicans run for speaker and make their backroom deals to marshal votes, funding for Ukraine will be on the table. The further right you get in the Republican Party, the less likely you are to see support for Ukraine. And if you go Even further right, you start seeing support for Vladimir Putin. There are people on the far, far right who support Vladimir Putin, who are rooting for Vladimir Putin, rooting against Ukraine, rooting against Zelensky. Now, it's no secret that for at least a decade, Vladimir Putin has been not so secretly funneling money to the National Rifle Association and Republican politicians. And there's no reason to think that he stopped. In fact, when he invaded Ukraine, he probably kicked it up a notch. In America, it is against the law to accept donations. If you're a politician, you're not allowed to accept donations from foreign governments. But the same way America's CIA interferes with foreign elections, Putin continues to fly below the radar, secreting money to operatives in America, special agents, and straw donors, who are then able to channel mo- money directly to the candidates or through unregulated super PACs. Read the Mueller report. There are Republican politicians financially beholden to Putin. And because Putin's an ex-KGB agent, we also know there are Republican politicians whose reputations are beholden to Putin. Manila envelopes containing Compromat have been dropped on their desks, and these Republican politicians know without even being told what they need to do and how to vote. Now, I just talked about Dennis Hastert, Right. Politicians have secrets. Matt Gates has secrets. And they're starting to come out about 17-year-old girls and in ethics investigations. Donald Trump has secrets. Like I said, the KGB calls it compromat, compromising photographs, compromat. You can get a politician to pretty much do anything for free if you hand them a manila envelope containing photographs, and then threaten to hand the same manila envelope over to a news organization or a spouse, right? So that's one way Putin, those are two ways Putin gets Republican politicians to get in line. Then there are the unwitting stooges who have no idea they're being played by Russian operatives. I present, Your Honor, Rudy Giuliani. This is from 2020, while Donald Trump was still president, okay? This is from the New York Times, 2020. I believe this was October 15th. And this information came out of Donald Trump's intelligence agencies, not Obama's. This came out of Donald Trump's intelligence agency headline. Trump said to be warned that Giuliani was conveying Russian disinformation. President Trump shrugged off the warning from his intelligence agencies, officials said. Okay, again, this isn't crossfire hurricane. This is which that was the FBI investigation in 2016 that the Obama administration agreed to launch looking into Russian influence in the Donald Trump campaign. This is October 15th, 2020, right? This is Donald Trump was president. Headline, Uh, From The New York Times, the intelligence agencies warned the White House late last year, that would be 2019, that Russian intelligence officers were using President Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy W. Giuliani, as a conduit for disinformation aimed at undermining Joseph Biden Jr.'s presidential run, according to four current and former American officials. Okay, more from The New York Times. The agencies imparted the warning months before disclosing publicly in August that Moscow was trying to interfere in the election by taking aim at Mr. Biden's campaign, the officials said. Mr. Trump and Mr. Giuliani have promoted unsubstantiated claims about Mr. Biden that have aligned with Russian disinformation efforts And Mr. Giuliani has met with the Ukrainian lawmaker whom American officials believe is a Russian agent. Okay? This is not just the New York Times. I'll get to that in a second. Here we go. Robert C. O'Brien, the National Security Advisor, that would be Robert C. O'Brien, who was appointed by Donald Trump, okay? Robert C. O'Brien, the National Security Advisor, presented the warning about Mr. Giuliani to Mr. Trump in December, two former officials gave conflicting accounts about its nature. One said the report was presented to Mr. Trump as unverified and vague, but another said the intelligence agencies had developed solid and credible information that Mr. Giuliani was being, quote-unquote, worked over by Russian operatives. So we're not talking about money, money, or Compromat. We're talking about Russian operatives seeing Rudy Giuliani and going, oh, a useful idiot, a stooge. We don't have to give him money. We can just manipulate him from The Washington Post, October 15th, 2020. White House was, again, this isn't the Obama administration. This is when Trump was President. White House was warned Giuliani was target of Russian intelligence operation to feed misinformation to Trump. Okay, more from the Washington Post. The warnings to the White House, which have not previously been reported, led National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien to caution Trump in a private conversation that any information Rudy Giuliani brought back from Ukraine should be considered contaminated by Russia, one of the former officials said. Okay. And the article continues. The message was, do what you want to do, but your friend Rudy has been worked by Russian assets in Ukraine, right? Rudy was going to Ukraine to dig up dirt on Hunter Biden. And he was getting worked over by Russian assets who were living and working in Ukraine. Officials wanted to protect the president from coming out and saying something stupid, particularly since he was facing impeachment over his own efforts to strong arm Ukraine's president into investigating the Bidens. More from The Washington Post. But O'Brien emerged from the meeting, this is, O'Brien would be the national security advisor, appointed by Donald Trump. O'Brien emerged from the meeting uncertain whether he had gotten through to the president. Trump had, quote unquote, shrugged his shoulders at O'Brien's warning, the former official said, and dismissed concerned about Rudy's activities by saying, that's Rudy, that's Rudy like Jim Jordan said about Dr. Strauss molesting the wrestlers. That's Strauss. That's Rudy. Right? Very forgiving. That's Rudy. That would be a good good sitcom. That's Rudy. That's Rudy. Well, Rudy Giuliani owes at least $3 million in unpaid legal fees. So imagine, if you will, the idiot lawyer who filed this case... (laughs) on behalf of Rudy Giuliani on Wednesday. Now Hunter Biden is suing Rudy Giuliani because Rudy in 2020 got his hands on Hunter's laptop and violated the Digital Digital Privacy Act by leaking the contents of that laptop to the New York Post. And so Rudy's being sued for that, so Rudy is counter-suing the Biden family. Rudy is suing the President of the United States for defamation, claiming Joe Biden defamed Rudy's reputation during the 2020 presidential debates when Biden, then-candidate Biden, referred to Rudy Giuliani as a Russian pawn. Now, where did Biden get that information, do you think? Well, when you're the Democratic nominee, you're entitled to security briefings, From our nation's intelligence agencies in order to get you up to speed just in case you win. So he knew that Rudy was a pawn. And here's the point. Uh, I'm amazed that a lawyer, one of the lawyers is in New Hampshire, and I saw a picture of him. And he looks just as bedraggled as Rudy does. Uh, you know you're not going to get paid, and it's not like it's a resume builder. Here's the point, okay? Rudy doesn't like being called a Russian pawn because he doesn't know that he's a Russian pawn. That's why he's a Russian pawn. If you if you realize you're a Russian pawn, then you're no longer a Russian pawn. So of course he's going to sue for defamation. He's a pawn. He was identified as a useful idiot, a stooge, too stupid to know he was being manipulated by his Russian handlers. Of course, he's going to sue for defamation. A Russian pawn has no idea that he's a Russian pawn. But everyone else knows, Rudy, that you're a Russian pawn, a stooge, everyone knows it. it, is as plain as the hair dye dripping down the side of your face. That's Rudy. I like scotch. Yes, you do. Big article in the New York Times. You should read it about Rudy's legendary alcoholism. Rudy, uh, your thoughts about your alcoholism? Well, here's an interview we found two years ago where Rudy was asked about his drinking problem.
1: So you do not believe that you have a drinking problem?
0: I know. I don't, I don't believe it. I know I'm not. I mean I I no, I'm not <laughs> alcoholic. I'm a functioning Alcoholic. You're a functioning alcoholic. Actually, you're not functioning. You're just an alcoholic, which is precisely why you identified by Russian intelligence, as well as Donald Trump, as an asset. And most importantly, you work for free. You're really valuable and cost effective. That's the great thing about people like Rudy. They don't know they're Russian assets. They don't know. They don't know they're being used by Putin. They don't know they're being used by Donald Trump. Rudy thinks there's a pot of gold at the end of this rainbow of lies. There isn't Rudy. There's just bankruptcy and jail time. You've been played. You were played by Putin and you were played by Trump who played. uh, You were played by Putin, who played Trump, who whatever Uh, you were taking advantage of because you're drunk, you're a racist, You're belligerent and stupid. Your brain cells have been rotted, not by alcohol, but the the racism. I, I have some people I know, people who I thought were my friends, and racism is like alcohol. It rots the brain. It destroys brain cells, which means the racism gets worse. So that's one type of Republican, and then there are the far right Republicans, the far, far, far right Republicans, who don't need money from Putin. They don't need to be shown any cop uh, in order to support Putin. They don't need a Russian handler to trick them into supporting Putin. I'm talking about the true believers in the Republican Party, who just love Vladimir Putin. They, I know it's hard to believe, but there are far, far right Republicans who love Putin. Why? Because he's white, because he's white, and because he's white. And Russia is sort of in Asia, so they like the idea of a white guy in Asia. He's Christian. He's a check on China's expansionism. He's a hardliner on social issues like same-sex marriage. And most importantly, he's an authoritarian who rules with an iron tiny fist, cracking down on press freedoms, protesters, and democratic institutions within his own country. And he's militaristic. Now, I, I know this still remains hard for most of us to believe, but there are Republicans who don't want majority rule in America. They don't want democracy. They don't want a republic. They have so much contempt for humanity that they don't think humans can or should govern themselves. They are fascists. They are fascists, and this is not something new in America. The fascist strain has been with us since the late 20s. It's hard to accept because they disguise their intentions. And by the time you realize what you're up against, it's often too late. Trump, for example, is a fascist. His bone-chilling behavior this week, holding press conferences right in front of the courtroom doors where his civil trial for fraud was going on, this is not normal. It's unacceptable. I've never seen anything like this before. It's beyond intimidation. This is a, a level of threat that you wouldn't even see from John Gotti. I've never seen anything like this. And I have I was talking to my sister. I've always hated Donald Trump, but watching him doing these uh, little mini press conferences outside the courtroom doors, I have never hated him as much as I did when he was standing outside. Courtroom doors, insisting that Mar-a-Lago was worth two billion dollars, and threatening, he is a rapist, and and you see it that that is the behavior of a rapist who refuses to take no for an answer. There are thirty credible sexual assault allegations against Donald Trump, and E. Jean Carroll, back in May, won her civil suit against him. He has to pay her $5 million for defaming her. And the, the jury ruled that he raped her. And the judge twice has put into writing, you raped her. And he's got another trial the day that the Iowa caucuses are held in January of 2024. Eugene Carroll is suing him again. For defamation. It's a second lawsuit, which he's already lost. The judge has said, no, you raped her and then you defamed her again. So this trial is just to determine the damages. He's a rapist. Donald Trump is a rapist. Watch the way he stands in front of the courtroom, refusing to take no for an answer, insisting that his properties are not overvalued. Who in their right mind would believe that Mar-a-Lago is worth a billion dollars or two billion dollars? He doesn't believe it. He signed the documents with the Palm Beach tax assessor saying that Mar-a-Lago is worth roughly 20 million dollars. I have never hated Donald Trump as much as I hate him now. He is the worst human being he, I knew this when I was growing up because he he evicted so many people. He is completely out of control. And I am stunned that he's not behind bars right now, the same way Sam Bankman freed the cryptocurrency charlatan is behind bars for violating gag orders, witness tampering. If you don't behave, if you're... If you're facing a criminal trial four criminal trials and you're behaving the way Donald Trump is, there's no way there's no way a judge isn't going to put you behind bars. He belongs in jail now. Now, you know, he was booked in Fulton County Jail. Right. We're told everybody in Georgia is entitled to a speedy trial Well, all the guys in Fulton County Jail, a couple thousand people living in Fulton County Jail, half of them, according to the ASLU, have not had a trial yet or been charged or indicted. They're just being held in the jail with no habeas corpus. They lock up and the other half are awaiting trial, but they're deemed Dangers to the community, so they're locked up before they're found guilty. That's how we do things here in America. You're innocent until proven guilty. But when you're awaiting trial, if you can't behave, we lock you up. Anybody else, if they did what Donald Trump did, anybody else would be locked up for this kind of behavior. I've never seen anything like this before. A defendant standing in earshot of the presiding judge as well as the chief law enforcement officer of the state of New York, Letitia James. He's just not trash talking them, but he's threatening them before a bank of microphones. Where is the pushback from the fourth estate? Where is the, the press? It it's it reminded me of 2016, where they were just putting microphones in front of him and letting him speak. Where are the members of the media standing there challenging his every statement? Instead, just like back in 2016, this week, they let him spew his lies about the value of Mar-a-Lago, calling the judge uh, a a Democrat, uh, a a criminal, called him a criminal who should be disbarred. He calls Letitia James a, a monster spewing lies about the value of his property. You know, there used to be reporters like Sam Donaldson who would just jump at an opportunity to stake Trump out and wait for him to speak so he could shout back at his lies. This looked like 2016 all over again. This lie, for example, that went completely unchecked. This happened on Wednesday. This trial is a total witch hunt and I should be entitled to a jury like everybody else is entitled to a jury. I have no rights to have a jury. It's ridiculous. Thank you very much. Where's the media? Where is the reporter shouting out, Donald, this is what you agreed to? You requested a bench trial with just a judge deciding. That's what your lawyer asked for because you're terrified of a New York jury. You don't trust the people of New York because we, the people of New York, know exactly who you are. So, you know, we know who you are and you decided you'd have a better shot with a bench trial. Just one judge who you can stink eye instead of 12 New York jurors who are all related to someone you evicted. You're despised in New York City, Donald Trump. You know that because you used to live here in New York and everyone in New York knows you. It's why you lost in 2016 to Hillary and Joe Biden in 2020. You lost New York City by a landslide. Because New York City, your hometown, we despise you and you know that. So that's why you didn't ask for a jury trial, because you're afraid you would lose because everybody hates you. So you you agreed to a bench trial. But the media just lets them spew lies and it's unchallenged. Nobody shouted him down today. Just camera operators with microphones. This is journalistic malfeasance to go live and let him spew these lies. Uh, Now, there's nothing wrong with playing that sound bite later and doing what I'm doing, which is correcting it. But on Wednesday, it was, let's go live to the courtroom where Donald Trump has something to say unchallenged unacceptable the judge in that case issued a gag order on tuesday right after trump took to social media and trashed the judge's clerk by accusing her of being chuck schumer's girlfriend trump seemed temporarily cowed by the judge and deleted the post this is where it gets interesting and this is well let me tell you what happened uh he was cowed by the judge and the next day he was back at it on Wednesday he trashed he's very clever Donald Trump and I'm making a bigger point here so the judge said you can't trash anybody who works in my courtroom so the next day Donald Trump trashed the New York Attorney General Letitia James he called her corrupt and guilty of fraud but He knows how to parse his words, and he obeyed the specifics of Judge Arthur Engerin's gag order prohibiting Trump from trashing any employees of the court. So, Trump technically obeyed the gag order. And what does that mean? Well, it means he knows how to parse his words. It also means he's afraid. He's afraid. It's a lot of bluster. But he obeyed the judge. You know, a lot of us see him and think, you know, nothing can stop him. Yeah, something can stop him. Now, I'm sitting here in the safety of my bubble. I'm not law enforcement. So take what I'm about to say with whatever. This judge here is 75 years old, and he's a bit of a goofball. He likes to fool around. He thinks he's funny. Trump doesn't think he's funny. Very disgruntled. Trump on Wednesday was throwing his arms up in the air, was like he was watching me do stand-up. And this judge is 75, and he tries to present himself as a soft touch. And that's just the type of guy who's going to lock Trump up for violating a gag order. I don't know. Now, Trump left. He flew back to Florida. So he's not gonna be showing up at this trial, but this trial is going on until December and it's gonna be death by thousands of cuts. The testimony is damnable. It just exposes Donald Trump as a fraud. Think about this for a second. Um, I have no money But I can assure you, what little money I have in my checking account, if somebody accused me of not having any money, I wouldn't be defending my honor, right? If you had a billion dollars, if you had a $100,000 and people were accusing you of having no money, would you take it personally? If you have the money, what do you care? In fact... If you have a lot of money, you want people to think you don't have any. They don't ask you for help. And you don't want the government. You don't want, to, you don't want the tax assessor to come for you. Only a pretender would stand in front of a, a bank of microphones and insist Mar-a-Lago is worth a billion dollars. A fraud, which is what he's on trial for. Uh, It's a lot of bluster, and, you know, he's just begging to be locked up. He's a sociopath, and he's begging for discipline. You know, children beg to be, get in the corner. There's, There's order in the universe when a child, when you say you misbehave, go stand in the corner, and the kid goes, oh, there's order in the universe. There's no order in Donald Trump's universe because nobody ever made him stand in the corner. I'm telling you, this guy needs one night in jail. One night in jail. Like I said, Sam Bankman freed the cryptocurrency charlatan. He's behind bars right now during his trial for doing far less in terms of violating a gag order for witness tampering. Donald Trump never spent one night in jail. Not one. Let him spend one night in jail and watch how he breaks. One night. One night in jail. Here, Donald, here's what one night is like. Now imagine 10 years in prison. Changes. Changes a guy pushing 80 terrifies him and he'll break he really will he will break this is a guy who has never spent a night in jail no one ever said to him go stand in the corner one of these judges now this is a civil lawsuit so donald trump isn't facing prison he's just facing more and more humiliation one of these judges in the four criminal trials and i think it's Tanya Chutkin in Washington, D.C., because the special counsel, Jack Smith, is asking for a gag order. The hearing, I believe, is either October 15th or October 16th. And there'll be other judges who are going to issue gag orders because he's out of control. And one of these judges is going to have to lock him up for at least a night. Now, again, I'm sitting in a bubble I'm not law enforcement, I'm not a judge. Uh, You lock him up, does it make him a martyr? That's what people are afraid of. Well, I think he's already, Trump has already hit the martyrdom threshold in terms of polling. I don't don't think he'd score any higher uh, as a martyr. There's no way other than down for Donald Trump. People have made up their minds on Trump. And seeing Donald Trump sitting in a jail cell, that'll make him look weak, especially to the people who vote for him because they think he's a strong man. How will his supporters act? That's what a lot of my friends say. You lock him up. How will his supporters act? Well, again, I'm not in law enforcement, so it's not me holding the line So I want to be extra careful here because I'm thinking of the 140 Capitol Hill police officers who had to go to the hospital on January 6th. So I don't mean to be glib here. How will his supporters react if he spends a night in jail? I think better we find out now while the FBI and the Justice Department answer to Joe Biden then two years from now, where we might end up with a repeat of January six. Again, I don't have to enforce the law, but it seems to me it's going to be a lot easier to lock Donald Trump up today than it will be tomorrow. If he continues to behave this way, with or without a gag order, he should be locked up for, the, for this intimidation. Put him behind bars for one night. He is the only person in American history, I believe, who has gotten away with this behavior under four criminal indictments. And he's talking this way, threatening judges, prosecutors. With January 6th, part of his record, nobody Nobody, no other mobster, politician, corporate shyster ever behaved this way. Nobody in front of a courtroom, nobody talked about judges or prosecutors this way. Nobody would dare do that. And if they did, they'd be put in jail. This is the most disgraceful behavior I've ever witnessed this week. And it's the behavior of a rapist. It is the behavior of a rapist. And he's making a mockery of our justice system. Lock him up. Right now. Like I said, it will be easier to deal with the ramifications of locking Trump up today than it will be tomorrow. And I hate to sound smug because I'm not in law enforcement But where I'm sitting, it's going to be easier now to deal with his imbeciles coming out of the woodwork. It's going to be easier now to deal with whoever's going to come out of the woodwork. It's easier now than it will be two years from now if he or Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley ends up in... The Oval Office that's what I feel. It's not what I think, it's not what I believe. it's how I feel. So I, it may change tomorrow, but I real I was talking to my sister today, and I really I've never I hated him on January 6, but you really didn't see him behave on January 6. You saw his supporters. This week in front of the courtroom you saw how dangerous he is and you think why why are we putting up with this why is he has no clothes why not why why the emperor has no clothes lock him up why are people so intimidated again I'm not the judge I'm not the attorney general I'm not a uh, police officer, I just sit back and read and talk to people. So this is how I feel, not necessarily what I think. So what does this have to do with Ukraine? What does this have to do with our dysfunctional Congress? Everything. So back to Putin. He didn't make Trump president, but he helped. Putin doesn't want Biden to pass this $24 billion Ukraine supplemental. Putin likes the fact that Congress has essentially shut down. We have like a, a mini government shutdown. People are getting paid, but at least Congress is shut down. Putin wants that because he can't stand the fact that America is meddling at Russia's border. There has been a proxy war going on between Russia and the United States, at least as far back as 2014 when Putin sees Crimea from the Ukrainians. Putin, as we all know, does not like the idea that America is trying to turn Ukraine westward by either bringing it into the European Union and making trade deals with the West instead of with Russia. He also doesn't like the idea of Ukraine joining NATO and then having a military threat right against his border. If Ukraine joined NATO, if it joined the EU, it would become Ukraine would, would become the single largest country in Europe. Putin doesn't want Ukraine to become part of Europe because if it becomes part of the West, it has the potential to become like Germany or France, an economic and or military powerhouse that would dwarf Russia. That's why he invaded Ukraine. And it's why he's been meddling in Western elections in order to install leaders and politicians who are either friendly to Russia or less inclined to intervene in Russia's border disputes. That is partly what this war is about. Ukraine is a proxy war between Russia and the West, and it started way before Putin invaded 18 months ago. According to our State Department, since 2014 Putin has spent at the very least 300 million dollars and the State Department calls this a an estimate, they're lowballing, 300 million dollars funneling money to sympathetic politicians throughout Europe, Central America, and of course, the United States. Now, I know our CIA does this kind of stuff as well. It's wrong but I'm an American. And just because we do something overseas, it doesn't make me okay with people doing it to us over here. I I hate to break it to you, but uh, I'm rooting for my country. I'm an American. I like it here. I know we bomb innocent children overseas. It's wrong. And it's got to stop. And the we should be punishing the politicians who order these bombings. But if someone bombs innocent children here in America, I'm not about to say, well, that it's about time. Lord knows we deserve it because we do it all the time overseas. I don't believe that. I don't believe we should be bombing innocent children overseas, and we don't deserve to be bombed here. I'm not going there. I know people. I hear Americans who talk that way. Uh, We do bad things overseas, but that doesn't mean we deserve bad things to happen to us here. We need to stop doing bad things overseas. Now, there's no question that Vladimir Putin's money has found its way into the bank accounts and political war chests of Republican politicians. Read the Mueller report. And there's no question that money has influenced their positions on Russia vis-a-vis Ukraine. Again, it's not just money that influences these politicians. There are Putin-funded propaganda machines who influence and dupe American pundits and podcasters into supporting Putin. A lot of these writers, podcasters, and influencers receive funding from nefarious sources, and they don't ask questions. They just cash the checks, unwilling to admit to themselves it's three or four steps removed from Vladimir Putin. There are think tanks here in the United States, professors, websites, churning out position papers, research, phony stats, misinformation that seems legitimate, and It all appeals to low information, political tastemakers who are easily influenced, gullible. They lack critical thinking. The kind of political tastemakers who are looking for evidence that will back up what they already believe. Now, there are racists and bigots who are already predisposed to root for Putin So they don't need anything more than phony statistics and fake research papers to bolster their argument when they speak out in favor of the Russian occupation of Ukraine. Uh, How anybody could defend Putin invading Ukraine, especially when the current head of the UN, a socialist, speaks out against it, uh, is beyond me. Uh, these are people I believe who are easily duped, or because of their bigotry and racism that they cloak in pacifism, they end up rooting for Putin. We've seen this before. Putin isn't the first. We see this with phony climate scientists that corporate stooges latch onto without admitting to the audience or themselves that it's all funded by Exxon. When you look at, there's really no difference between Putin and Exxon, which is why Putin, uh, well, anyway. Uh, So the same applies to Russian influence peddling here in America, just like Exxon. A lot of people are parroting Russian talking points that they get from paid Russian influencers, and they parrot these talking points. They don't care whether or not it's coming from Putin uh, because deep down they're rooting for Putin. Now we know, we know for a fact that Brexit in Great Britain, Trump here in America, Viktor Orban in Hungary, and Marine Le Pen in France, all received some sort of financial support from Putin. These right-wing politicians, these right-wing referenda, they all got money from Putin. Why is that? Because Putin wants to destabilize the West by cultivating other authoritarians who are sympathetic to his cause. He wants to cultivate isolationists, and authoritarians. He wants a dysfunctional West because that gives Putin the room to control his borders and keep America, Germany, and Great Britain from meddling in both Russia's economy and his government. And he kind of got that. He's got that in Congress right now. This is exactly what Vladimir Putin wants. I'm not saying he's sitting there pulling the strings, but this is exactly what Vladimir Putin wants. The office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. Putin wants total dysfunction in Washington, D.C. Again, I don't believe he's sitting there pulling strings. He can barely pull the strings in Ukraine, or with the Wagner Group. He's busy losing. I just think he's a contributing factor to the dysfunctions that we see in America. He's one of the many oligarchs who benefits when Washington, D.C. is unable to function. When Washington can't get its act together, that means there's no congressional oversight of our banks, our fossil fuel industry, Big Pharma, that's supposed to be negotiating prices with Medicare right now. And of course, nobody's monitoring the health insurance companies. All these forces make money when Congress is shut down, not keeping an eye on them. When there's a government shutdown, which is not inconceivable past November 17th, when the government shuts down, as it has in the past, 90% of Wall Street regulators are sent home. So there's a war being waged by the Republican Party against our government. It's no coincidence they found a willing financial partner in Vladimir Putin. He's just another multi-billionaire who wants to destroy our nation's capital. That's all Vladimir Putin is, just another guy with billions and billions of dollars who would, whose life would be a lot easier if our government here in America didn't function. And then there's this guy, once again, Donald Trump, who also benefits from dysfunction in Washington, DC. It is now becoming increasingly clear that Donald Trump left Speaker McCarthy dangling in the breeze on Tuesday while Trump quietly sided with Matt Gates and burning down the house it was a mini version of January 6 a perfectly legal parliamentary maneuver where far right republicans blocked government from performing its constitutional functions but it was legal That's what Tuesday was. It was a mini January 6. It was kind of like the Green Bay Sweep. It's far-right Republicans who hate Washington, grinding the wheels of government to a halt by any means necessary. This time around, much like the Green Bay Sweep, perfectly legal. Find the loopholes in our Constitution and turn off the lights. Many of the same people who didn't want a continuing resolution or wanted to get rid of Kevin McCarthy are the same people who were not so secretly cheering on the January Sixers. And then after January 6, they voted not to certify the election for Donald Trump. One of those people, who voted right after January 6th not to certify the election for Joe Biden was Kevin McCarthy. Karma, as they say, is an MFR. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Thank you so much for listening to me and putting up with my nonsense. If you enjoyed any of this, please like it so I remain in your feed. That's what I've been told, that the most important thing my listeners can do is like, hit the like button and subscribe to my channel. If you enjoy what I'm doing, the best way to help me is to share this. That is the absolute best way to help me. Um... Nobody is helping me other than Robert Smigel and Sam Seder. Uh, But uh, this is really a grassroots show. I'm not part of any network. I don't have a uh, PR person. This is just for the listeners. And uh, so the best way to help me is by sharing this with as many people as you possibly can. Uh, so thank you for doing that because I know some of you are. I also rely on your comments. So uh, your corrections play a, uh, a major role in the show. Some of the somebody got it right, somebody corrected me, but they were wrong. They said that Chip Roy served in the military. And uh, they sent me the wrong information. But I appreciate it anyway. They, they, they looked it up because I had said on yesterday's show that Chip Roy never served in the uh, military. Somebody wrote back and said they looked it up and he did. Chip Roy never served in the military. If you can find proof of that, I, I would love to see it. I enjoy being corrected. There's some stuff I'm talking about that is way out of my pay grade. Uh, Problem is nobody else talks about it. Uh, So I do as much research as I possibly can. I go to reliable sources. I talk to people I trust. If I made a mistake, let me know and I will issue a correction. So please comment on the show. I, uh, the show gets better with your comments. Thank you to the moderators who keep the chat room civil. Did I cover everything? Oh, do I have? Hang on. Oh, my girlfriend's here. I just want to see if she's depressed or not. Hi, honey. The, the, the show's over. Yay. Okay, she's been very, very sad lately. Um, I'm worried she's going to leave me. Um, I'm I'm all done, and I think uh, I'm ready to crawl into bed with you. Yay. Okay. And uh, I think I'm uh, feeling kind of frisky, and I may wear my Speedo and uh, brush my teeth and put on the riding boots. Yay. Okay. So do you love me? Do you love me? Nay. Did you did you just say no that you don't love me? Yay. Well do, do, do you want me do you want to break up with me? Yay. All right. She's she's going through something. It's not easy to be in a relationship with me. All right. Honey, I'm gonna just figure that you're not in a good mood and that you really don't mean what you're saying. Uh Uh-oh. Yay. Okay. Uh, I love you. Yay. No, I really, really, I just want you to know I love you. Yay. Is there anything you want to tell me? Because I really, really, really love you. Is there anything you want to tell me? Yay. Okay. (sighs) Relationships are hard. I'll see everybody tomorrow. Bye show's over.
1: Yay.